Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You were going through this series of the seven churches of Revelation. Okay, and this is the fourth church that we're looking at this morning. And Jesus' message to the church at Sardis uh, is a bit different than the others. And you may have already picked up on it as I read the scripture. You see, in the four previous messages that Jesus addressed to these four churches previous to Sardis, he would do two things. He, he would highlight some of the things that were going well. He would praise the church for some things that were going well among them in their congregation. And then he would move on to a problem that needed to be addressed. And he did that each of the churches prior to this message to the church in Sardis. And the difference is, in this message to this church in Sardis, there is no praise. You know, the situation is so bad, uh, Jesus finds nothing to applaud. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's no area in the church where Jesus can say, hey, well done, good and faithful servants. I mean, there's no praise. He just moves straight to the problem. And the light that may have burned bright for Christ there in Sardis, perhaps at one time, was now just a flicker. And it was about to be just completely extinguished. Another way that Sardis is different than the previous churches is that as you read those other messages that Jesus sent to the churches, you realize that in these other churches, the church at Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira and Smyrna, they had these minority factions, these small groups within the church that were seeking to lead the church astray. So it was a really a minority problem. The majority of the church was doing pretty good. And there were these people that were creeping in and they were leading the church astray. But the issue with Sardis is it's not a minority problem. There's not just a small group seeking to lead the church astray. But this is a majority problem. That the majority of the people in Sardis, the church in Sardis, the majority of those who call themselves Christians, they are the problem. And there's just a small minority of people that actually are walking with Jesus. And so that's another difference we see between this church in Sardis and the previous churches in Jesus' messages that he addressed there in um, Revelation chapter 2. What we see in the church in Sardis is that a spiritual rot had begun to make its way through the church. And it had spread so much that it was on the verge of experiencing the judgment of Christ. That Christ was going to come like a 
thief in the night and basically cut the church off because the church was actually not a church, was it? I mean, a dead church is not a church. And so they were going to remove the title church from this gathering, whatever it was there in Sardis. And so there was no praise for this church in Sardis. But there was a major problem. And Jesus addresses that problem beginning in verse 1 when he says this. He says, I know your works. And we've seen this throughout his messages that Jesus knows what's going on in his body. I mean, we can, we can fool people around us, but you can't fool Christ. Because his eyes are like flames of fire. I mean, they penetrate in the heart. That he knows what's going on in the heart of his people. And so he sees what's going on there in the church in Sardis. He says, I know your works. And then he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And that is an interesting charge against the church, is it not? Jesus says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead, which prompts the question, okay, how is it possible for a church to have the reputation of being alive, but actually be dead? You know, and to help us answer that question, I want to frame it, maybe ask another question actually that may lend itself to helping us answer that question. And that is, what does a dead church look like? Because Jesus is saying, you know, this church in Sardis, you have this reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. And so what does a dead church look like? So I want you to think about that. What, is, what does a dead church look like? You know, one indicator that we tend to attach to a church that is alive is uh, attendance. And so what you may think to yourself is this. You may say, well, um, a church that's alive is a big church. And a small church is a dead church. That's what we may tend to think. And I can fall, fall into that belief myself and think, okay, well, if this church has a lot of people coming to it, then it must be alive. And if a church doesn't have a lot of people, then it must be dead. But when you survey the landscape of churches and when you look around, uh, then you realize that attendance is not always an indication of life. It may be, but it's not always. I mean, you can look at some major, some big, you know, quote unquote churches around the country and you may not hear the gospel preached in that church. So attendance is not necessarily an indicator of life. Because you look at the church at Sardis, he's, Jesus says, you know, you have the reputation of being alive. In other words, people are gathering together. I mean, people were going to church. There was a church gathering there. People were coming on Sundays. And it looked like it was alive. But yet it was dead. Another indicator that we tend to attach uh, to life in a church is we, we look at their budget. You know, they're giving and we say, okay, this church has a big budget. They give a lot of money, so this church must be alive. Or look at their facility. I mean, this is a fantastic building. They must be alive. Well, not necessarily. That could be an indicator, but not always. And so the church in Sardis, Sardis was a very wealthy city. And relatively speaking, I would imagine the church there had plenty of resources. And yet Jesus says, you're a dead church. You gather. You're going through the motions. You have resources. But you're dead. You're not alive. You know, the, um, a few years ago, I, I came home. And 
there was this, we had this huge oak tree in the yard. It was actually toward the, toward the road. And so technically it was on city property, but it was, you know, obviously in the yard provided a lot of shade. But I saw a, um, a note attached to the big tree. And so I was curious, okay, who attached the note to the tree? And so I walked up the tree, I read the note, and it was from the city of Augusta. And it was basically saying, we're going to cut this tree down. And it was on their property, right? So, I mean, they had the right to do that. But the reason they were going to cut it down is because they said it was, it was rotting from the inside. But what was interesting about this huge oak tree, looking at the tree, you couldn't tell it. I mean, it had leaves. I mean, it didn't look rotten. It wasn't like a, you know, a big, just dead you know, stump coming out of the ground, all these dead limbs. I mean, it looked like it was alive. But I saw this note on it saying, we're going to cut it down because it's rotten. Well, I'm not a, you know, expert in trees, uh, so I'm sure they have other people that know a lot more about trees than I do. Uh, so if we were to look at it, we would say, that tree looks great. But if you knew about trees, if you knew something about them, you would realize, no, this tree is rotting from the inside out. And if we don't deal with this tree and we let this rot continue, then this tree is going to fall and it can do some serious damage on somebody's car <laughs> or the house I'm living in you know it's, it could do it could do some serious damage if you let the rock continue and this is what Jesus is saying about the church he's saying the church looks alive but there is a deadness there there is a spiritual rot that is in the midst of this church that is spreading and if it continues it will no longer be a church and so the question is is there any hope for a dead church Is there any hope for a dead church? Is there any hope for a Christian that is experiencing deadness towards God? Well, I don't know a lot about trees, but I don't think you can reverse tree rot in the midst of the trunk. You just have to cut it down. But thankfully, uh, God can bring about restoration where there is deadness in our hearts. And that's why Jesus writes the message to the church. There is a deadness there, but yet he speaks into the church's existence and he gives them an opportunity to experience revival, renewal, restoration. And in verses 2 and 3, Jesus gives us five ways to respond to him that will bring spiritual renewal. Jesus says in verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, What you received and heard, keep it and repent. So first he says we need to wake up. And the charge to wake up can also mean be watchful. In other words, look where you are. Pay attention. You know, evaluate yourself. See what's actually going on. And this charge to wake up or to be watchful would not have been lost on the uh, attention of the Sardinians. Because you see, the city of Sardis was perched upon this hill with very steep banks, which provided great defense for the city against enemies. Because there was only a few ways into the city because of the steep slopes of the hill that it was perched on. And so, if the so the army of Sardis, if it ever needed to, you know, pull back and regroup, it could simply just go into its city and feel pretty safe because of the the of the. The, the steep banks that were along the hill, they could not be climbed by these enemies. There's only a few ways in. And so they could, they could retreat into their city and regroup because it was such a well-fortified city. However, 
twice in the city's history it was conquered. And the reason it was conquered was because they became too confident in their fortifications. And so they became so confident in their fortifications, they retreated into their city. And they, and they said, you know what, we have such good fortifications, we're not even going to keep watch for the enemy. Because our fortifications are so good, we're not even going to watch out for them. And so what the enemy did is they, they found a way in. Just a few of their soldiers were able to make their way into the city and then open up the gates for the rest of the enemy's army to come in and conquer the city of Sardis. And so they failed to be watchful for the enemy. And so Jesus says, hey, church in Sardis, you need to wake up. You need to watch out. And so obviously that would conjure up all these memories of how our city had fallen because we were not watchful. And he says, you know what? Your church is going to fall if you're not watchful. You need to wake up and see the situation that you're in. You need to recognize the state that you're in. Then second, he says, you need to strengthen what remains. You know, the flame of the gospel was on the verge of being extinguished. But a flicker still remained. I mean, there was a flicker there. And Jesus says to strengthen what remains. So he says, you know, set your attention on that light that remains. And let's fan it into flame. Look, just look for that mustard seed of faith. You know, that little kernel of love that's still present that you have for God. And strengthen what remains. And the way we strengthen what remains in our own hearts towards God, he tells us, as he continues with the third step, he says the way we strengthen ourselves in Christ is by remembering what we have received and heard. He says, remember what you have received and heard. Now what you need to know is by the time that John records this message, most if not all the New Testament had been written. And so Jesus is telling them that the way to experience spiritual restoration is by remembering God's Word. Remembering what you have received and what you have heard. We should all be able to relate to this to some degree. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a strange thing, but you know, we can all, we can all kind of get into a routine and, to for, and then forget why we're doing what we're doing. You ever been there where you're just kind of going through the motions and you, you realize, what am I, like, what, why am I even doing this to begin with? You just kind of get into the routine and you're just kind of going through the motions. And so just think about this. You know, why, why do you come to worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock? I mean, why, why do you come to Sunday school? Why do you come to a Wednesday night Bible study and prayer time? I mean, why do you give of your resources uh, for the furtherance of the mission here at the church? And why do you do that? I mean, why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? I mean, why do you do these things? You know, it's so easy for us just to kind of we go through the motions. Well, I do this because this is just what we do. I've always done this. My family's always done this. It's what I'm supposed to do. We just kind of go through the motion. And we forget why we're doing it. We don't give attention to why we do it. So to guard against spiritual deadness, we need to remember why we do what we do. Why are we gathering? Why are we opening the Scripture together? And we need to remember the Gospel. We need to remember who God is. We're here for Him. We're here to know who He is. We're here to remember who God is. We're here to hear about where we are in our relationship with God. We're here to recall how God 
sent His Son for us and He died for us so that we can have our sins forgiven if, our, if we place our faith in Him. We need to be reminded of the Gospel. That's why we do what we do. That's what makes us who we are. It's the Gospel. And we need to be reminded of that. So if you want to be spiritually restored, you need to remember what you have received and heard. And as these truths come back to mind, as you begin to remember, oh yeah, this is why I do what I do. This is who I am. This is what God has done. This is who God is. As you remember these truths, we need to implement the fourth step, which is to keep it. Jesus says to keep it. And this charge is similar to the first. Uh, Once we've remembered the truths, reorienting ourselves back to the gospel and God's word, we must hold fast to it. The word there is to guard. We need to hold fast. We need to keep it. We need to guard it. We must not let it go. And then fifthly, he says, we need to repent. So in light of the truth, we were praying this morning before the service, and one of the the prayers was that we would be convicted of sin. We'd be convicted of your truth. Because when we come in contact with the truth of God and who He is, you know, our, our sinfulness is exposed. And that's a good thing. And that's where we want to be. We want to be exposed. We want to have those areas that are in the darkness exposed to the light. We want that so that we can repent. You know, a sign of restoration, a sign that God's at work in your life is a willingness to repent. Say, you know what, God, I see this is the way you want me to live, but I've been living this way. And so I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to, I agree with you, this is not the way you want me to go. I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to pursue your ways. That's repentance. And so if we fail to repent, we will not be spiritually restored. You know, there's no revival without repentance. Do you know that? There's no revival without repentance. And did you know this? That revival is something only a Christian can experience. Did you know that? Because if you're not a Christian, what is there to revive? I mean, there's, you have nothing. You don't have Christ. So the Christian can be revived in the faith. That's the church in Sardis. Jesus is calling them to revive themselves. To be revived in who He is and respond accordingly. Now for those who come to Christ, we see people come to Christ maybe on a large scale. We call that a spiritual awakening. When you see people move from death to life, they are awakened spiritually. They come to Christ for the very first time and experience what it means to know Him. A revival is for those who are in Christ and you have just experienced maybe a deadness toward God. You're just kind of going through the motions and you need to be revived. You need to be reminded of who you are in Christ, what He's done for you, who He is, what He's calling you to. And there's a revival that takes place in the heart of the Christian when these things happen. And so if you want to experience revival, we need to be willing to repent. And this revival takes place when Christians, when we take our faith seriously. When we begin to get serious about following Jesus. And you can't have revival without repentance. So if you want to experience revival, if you want to experience spiritual restoration, then you need to be willing to repent. You need to be willing to change. Change your mind. Change your behavior based on what God says and who God is. So wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. Hold fast to it. And repent. And then Jesus continues in verses 
4 through 6, and he gives a promise. He gives a promise to those who are spiritually alive, those who will persevere in the faith. And this is what he says in verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers, this is the one who perseveres in the faith. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in Jesus' promise, there is a threefold promise. The first thing he promises is that you will be clothed in white garments. Now these white garments symbolize purity, victory, justification. And it symbolizes this clothing worthy of, a, of the heavenly state. It's worthy of the kingdom. And so you will be clothed with white. And for those in Christ, we will be clothed with heavenly garments. We'll be clothed with garments appropriate for citizens of heaven. Second, he says, your name will be in the book of life. Now, the book of life uh, was something that was, uh, or, or, was similar to what we would maybe refer to as like a census book or census record. So a city, a town would have a, a book of life or a, like a census a book of citizenship. And so your name would be in there if you were a citizen of this city. And your name would be there. And then when you died, your name would be taken out of the book of citizenship because you're no longer here. Right? So it would be kind of a running census. And so what Jesus is saying is that those who have faith in Him, you will always have your name written in the book of life. So even though you may die, you will live. And that's the promise. That if you have faith in Christ... Your name will never be taken out like it is in, you know, maybe the, the town of Sardis, the city of Sardis. When you die, you're taken off the, the roll. He says in Christ, you're never taken off the roll. You have eternal life. And third, he says, Jesus will confess your name before the Father and before his angels. And this is simply, you know, if you're willing to confess Christ as your Lord here in this life, then Jesus will confess your name before the Father in the life to come. And that's a great promise. So one lesson we can learn from the church in Sardis is that none of us is too far gone. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, you know, none of us is too far gone for the rejuvenating power of God. And you may look at your life. You may look at your life even this morning and you may look at it and you say, you know what? I don't see anything worth praising. You may look at your life, you may think about your relationship with God, and you may feel very distant. You may evaluate where you are, and you may look at your, um, your relationship with God, and you may say, you know, I'm just kind of going through the motions. People look at me and they think I'm alive, but I have a deadness toward God. You know, if that's you, then listen to Jesus' words and wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it. Keep it. And be willing to repent. And if you want to be revived, then come to Christ. And ask Him to revive you. And then respond to His call on your life. And there may be some of you that you don't need to be revived. You need to be awakened. And you've never placed your faith in Christ before. And if that's you, then I challenge you to make that decision even this morning.
But whether you need to be revived or to be awakened, I want to challenge you to come to Christ this morning. And as we prepare uh, to sing our closing hymn, I want you to think about where you are with Jesus. I want, to think about, I want you to think about where you are. And as we sing, I want you to stay focused on what God's calling you to do. And as we stand and we sing this final hymn, you may need to pray while the congregation sings. And as, we, as we sing, you may need to even come forward. If you want someone to pray with you, you're welcome to come. And someone will be here to pray with you. Uh, You may need to place your faith in Christ while the congregation sings. But I want you, as we focus on the Lord, I want you to pay attention to where you are with Christ. And I want you to respond to what God is calling you to do. And whatever your response may be, I want us all to make sure that by the time this hymn ends, that we leave this place with a greater desire to walk with Jesus. So now let us stand and let's respond to God's call in our lives.